Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis. It is Saturday, April the 13th at 2 p.m. Central Time, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment. I want to say thank you very much for joining me this afternoon, and um, while some of you may know and some of you may not know that I work on, well, I have this podcast, uh, my podcast is Altitude Adjustment, and I work with a friend on his podcast, um, City Jazz Sessions. And his podcast is dedicated to jazz, as in the name, uh, but he does uh, some other kinds of music. But um, I've had an opportunity while working with him to meet some very interesting people. And being my inquisitive self, I get a little nosy or ask you know people how they come to um, being where they are in life. And I found some very interesting people. And one of those is Chris Swan and Chris Swan talks about um, the struggles that he had um, during his career, and one of them being addiction. And coming up on the other side of this, we're going to talk to Chris. And this is a this episode was taped a little earlier this week. So again, thanks, Chris, for hanging out today uh, with me. One of the things, so I hear a lot about addiction and um, I hear a lot about the destruction that it causes in people's lives. Um, but some of the things that I think are missing for me is, as far as context goes is people who are going through addiction um, while they, they tell their story of things that happened to them, they don't often talk about what they were thinking, uh, you know, what they were emotionally uh, experiencing. And that, that's what a couple of things that I was hoping that we would get a chance to talk about. Mm -hmm. So yeah. go ahead. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I think, yeah, no, I understand. Um, and we can get into some questions, but. But yeah, I think, you know, I think the first step of that is like taking personal responsibility, you know, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of people want to kind of blame their problems on other people, you know, Sure. Um, and it's just easier to be a victim and to blame somebody else or blame the system or whatever, blame your family, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that the, you know, the first step there is, is taking personal responsibility, um, for this, you know, and owning your addiction and, and calling it an addiction and, you know, calling it out and then, you know, being willing to take on the personal responsibility of it. And then, you know, then you have the power to do something about it because it's your problem, not somebody else's, you know? So. Sure. And sure. And I, and, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, while we with there, while there is a level of personal responsibility, there are um, things that, so in your bio on your website, and I will include that in the um, notes, uh, wherever they find the podcast. But in your bio, you talked about uh, some of the struggles that you had in your personal life, which you think were OK. So let me go back. So you've gone through the 12 step program. Yes, which is which is part of where this. Uh, taking responsibility comes from. Sure. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but you also, in your bio, you talked about some of the, the 
things that you experienced at a young age that you felt helped um, push you in that direction. Mm -hmm. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So so just kind of give me. So you you, you kind of felt that you were alone. Uh, yeah, and it's it's interesting. So yeah, the, I think the best way to explain it is you know it it starts when we're kids. We're all born with a blank slate. You know what I mean? We're all born. Uh, at least that's what I believe. We're all born with a clean slate, right? Right. Um, but as soon as we enter the world, we start getting programmed by um, people around us, mainly our parents when we're little kids, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, I don't say that as like it's a bad thing. Like parents and, pro, you know, yeah, we want to try to not program our kids, but, um, but you know, parents, most of the time, parents are just trying to do the best they can, right? They, right. they don't know any better. They're just trying to love you and provide for you and take care of you. But I think most people, even those who have the greatest parents in the world, you know, all have some damage that is done, you know, mm -hmm. have some scars, some emotional baggage, you know what I mean? It's almost impossible to get through life without that. That's just kind of part of being a human being, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, so, uh, yeah, so our parents and then our friends and our social circle and all that starts programming us and, and making us think not you know making us but creating situations that we choose to believe so that we start to believe certain things about ourselves you know okay whether they're true or not we start to believe these things um, and then you add to that the power of habit of doing something over and over and over again um, and that just ingrains it so much into our psyche that we start doing these things subconsciously um, to well, whatever it is to soothe ourselves or comfort ourselves or whatever um, because we're just so programmed that that is the solution. So like, I'll give you an example. So like my family, and I think this might be one of the things I talked about in my bio, but my family, I love my family. They've always been very loving, supportive of me, but it, you know, there was a lot of, uh, arguing and stuff like that when I was a kid mm -hmm. in my home. Mm -hmm. Um, but whenever we got together to eat, uh, that's when the arguing stopped. Everybody got along. Because okay. everybody's eating and happy, you know. Okay. And so to me, I made the association of food equaling comfort and love and security and safety, you know. Okay. Um, so there, I mean, that's a good example. So now, and then that happened over and over and over again all through my growing up years. So then as an adult, I associate food with safety and comfort, you know. And I maybe for a long time didn't even realize I was doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but. But it all, you know, as I started doing the program, I started to find that, find out that that's kind of what part of what's going on for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sitting here blaming my parents like, oh, if they would have just not argued, I would be fine. You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, I probably did do that for a while, but I know better now. I know that they were just being human beings with their own problems. And and they always, you know, did the best they could with me. And that was something that I picked up that I need to face and change within myself. You know, okay. not just blame it on my parents, but okay, I, you know, I picked this up, you know, now I need to work on being aware of that and, and just trying to take different actions, you know, right. now that I know that. So, right. yeah. well, okay. So, so one of the things that I want to, uh, you know, put out there, because I realize that you're trying to talk about 
you know, some of the hardships that you dealt with as far as emotionally. And the concern then becomes, um, am I looking at it fairly when I critique my, the people that I love? And so what I, what I want to do is I want to make, you know, make it sure that, um, like you said, uh, when people mean well, it doesn't always, it, it doesn't always convert to a positive action for you. So like our parents are responsible for helping us to develop our moral center. Mm-hmm. And their, their objective is to, they found certain things successful for them in their life and they want to pass that on. And um, because we are all different people, we may adjust differently than they did. So I, I understand that and, and I don't want to blame my parents, but, but there are things that um, we experience as children that shape how we are going to be as adults. And you with me so far? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm just, so I'm really trying to understand um, what you were thinking as you were going through life. So, so at what point, was there a point? Let me start with that. Was there a point where you said to yourself or you realized to yourself, I am drinking too much? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that point was when, when it starts to affect our lives in some kind of way. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so for me, I was always very functional but my physical health was definitely declining. I was having a hard time getting around, gaining a lot of weight, uh, just a lot of things like that. Um, my pocketbook was struggling because I was spending all my money on alcohol and shenanigans, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think for me it was, yeah, when those things, my health and my money started to get so bad, kind of at a critical mass, that's when I was finally willing to slow down and take a look at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a lot of people, as long as you're functioning fine, then who cares about a few hangovers? You know, it's just funny. We laugh it off, whatever. And that's fine. If you're living a happy life and you're okay with that, that's cool. But it wasn't, I wasn't happy. I wasn't, you know, living a very fulfilled life. And so that's why I had to look at it. And then, yes, absolutely. I had to come to that realization, you know, and this happened over years. It wasn't like an instant thing for me, but let that I, and the more I kind of learned about alcoholism and, in the 12 steps and stuff, I started understanding more and more like how much that was me. And really a lot of that was just hearing other people's stories mm-hmm. that are in the program, you know, and I started to be able to relate a lot to a lot of those stories. And I realized uh, that this is something I needed to look into, you know? Okay. So at what age did you come to that realization that, you know, I'm, this has become a, a habit that's out of control? Yeah, it was probably, I'm 42 now. It was probably like in my mid thirties when I really started to see that it was, you know, it was becoming a problem. Mm -hmm. I didn't really finally do anything about it until my late thirties, you know, but, um, but definitely all through my thirties, I struggled with it. I'd quit a couple of times and then, you know, come back to it and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely knew like my life was better when I wasn't drinking, but it was hard for me to walk away from it completely. It took some time. Okay. And so 
is there anything that you experienced earlier in life that gave you that as you can look back now and says um, some indication that that you may be susceptible to um, dependency? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. And especially the more I learn about myself and about, you know, alcoholism in general, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to look back now and see the signs, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. I think when we're going through them, we know we, I think we sense something isn't quite right. Um, and we just can't quite figure it out, but you know, we don't quite have the insight or we don't want to be honest enough. You know, to really look at it. And I think that's a lot of it with alcohol and for me, food too, you know, is just, we're so busy getting drunk or, you know, or recovering from our last drunk, you know, that we just don't have the energy or time or whatever to, you know, to be honest, you know, we're running from the truth. That's kind of the whole thing, you know, we're choosing drinking and food instead of really looking at things. So that's why sometimes it, it takes getting it out of your life you can even start to see the truth about it all you know right so, so but, yeah no go ahead. go ahead well yeah so i just for me it wasn't until i quit drinking that i could start having those conversations and 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 looking into that a little bit more and you know prayer and all that stuff to help me kind of start to see how much of a problem it was and then looking back i can see all the little signs for sure i know you know, the stuff with my parents. And I just, I always felt alone. I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like I didn't believe. And, you know, a lot of that came, or not believe, like I wasn't uh, deserving of good things or whatever. But I, I, I think a lot of that, it just, I just had poor self-esteem, you know, mm-hmm. which just come from a whole bunch of different things that I understand a little bit better now, still learning more. But, but um, I just started to believe these kind of false truths about myself. And, and so I was always really down on myself, and that's what led to a lot of these addictive behaviors, you know. Okay. And so um, uh, in the in the 12 steps, um, so, so I read the 12 steps, and most of it seems to center around um, a kind of religious um, doctrine. Yeah. Would you? So. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that, except I would just use the word spiritual instead of religious because so that's a big hang up for a lot of people. And this was definitely my story, too. But a big hang up for a lot of people in recovery or avoiding recovery is that it's the religious thing. They just look at it. Oh, it's just another way they're trying to get me to go to church. And I don't know if I believe in God or, or I, you know, I don't like the Catholic Church for all the things the priest has done or whatever it is. We all, a lot of us have these bias against religion, you know, and I do too. I definitely do too. So the key is the big switch for me was when I stopped looking at it as religion and looked at it as my spiritual health. You know what I mean? Sure. It's about becoming spiritually healthy and I get to define whatever that is. It doesn't have to be what my parents taught me God was or what the Catholic church says God is. You know, we call it a higher power that you don't even have to call it God if you don't believe that but mm-hmm. you just have to believe there's something bigger at work in the world than you you know that's kind of the main thing and then you can start working on your spiritual health but a lot of people get really hung up on that and that was that was hard for me too because I was struggling at the time with what I believed, and I'm still working that out but but uh it's really really it's just about humbling ourselves 
sure. and be willing to take a look at things and, and just believe that there's something outside of ourselves at work. You know? mm -hmm. So now you've mentioned the Catholic Church a couple of times. Were you raised Catholic? I wasn't actually. It's just a good example because I have a lot of friends who are real bitter towards Catholicism or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was actually, but I was raised in the church. I was raised in the uh, E-Free Church, so you know, kind of like a Lutheran method. I don't know what it is exactly. Methodist, I guess maybe, okay. but evangelical free. So you know, uh, non-Catholic, whatever the other one's called. Uh, I want to say Pentecostal. That's not word, the word, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Protestant. Yeah. Protestant. Protestant. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, during your um, struggles with addiction, um, you who, was there someone that you turned to, or someone that you talked to, or, or did you just not deal with um, some of the things that you were feeling? Um, yeah, for a lot of years, I, I didn't deal with it. Um, and then I, I started getting counseling. So the, probably the first step for me was I did counseling for a couple of years. And uh, that was a big game changer for me. Like I definitely learned a lot through that and grew a lot through that. Um, so that was kind of the first thing I as I got older, you know, I was able to talk to my parents about it more and more. Uh, and my dad is a licensed counselor, actually. So he's taught me a lot about psychology and how our brains work and all that stuff so I learned a lot from talking to him and um, so yeah you know as I got older and older I realized more and more how I needed to talk about it um, and so I had those people and then but it really wasn't until you know I joined uh, the 12-step program and got a sponsor and really started working the steps that I really started to have the really brutally honest conversations the ones I've been holding out my whole life you know like trying not to deal with all the deep, dark secrets and everything. Like it all had to come out, you know? And mm -hmm. that's when I started having the real conversations was when I got a sponsor in the program. So what, what made you seek um, counseling? Was there uh, a particular event or? Yeah, the counseling was, this was probably, man, 15 years ago. It was a, quite a long time ago, but I was really, really depressed. Um, borderline suicidal I was just in just kind of the stuff that I, we talked about earlier I was just really I just didn't see myself as having any worth or any purpose or it didn't matter and nobody liked me and I just was never going to succeed and all these negative tapes that I had running in my head I had just kind of given into believing all of it uh, and I just hated myself and I was depressed it was dark it was bad and so um, I was kind of, I kind of talked to my parents about it and they, they were, they helped me find somebody, you know, and, um, and so there was just a lot of stuff I had to deal with just from my childhood and stuff and just issues with my parents, kind of some of the stuff I talked about and some stuff with some girls, some ex-girlfriends and stuff like that. I just had to kind of work through all that stuff and get honest about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it wasn't, again, it wasn't until I pretty much hit like an emotional rock bottom. Uh, it was really bad and I knew that I had to do something. That's what kind of got me to do it. Oh, excellent. Um, so um, what I hardly ever hear about when when I hear about addiction is um, so there's talk that the family. One of the 12 steps is making amends with people that you feel you've wronged. Yes. Um, family being the closest is probably some of the people that are going to be dealt with first. 
because you, you need to rebuild those relationships. Um, how did your addiction, how do you feel your addiction impacted the people closest to you? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think everybody has their own story, you know, sure. and I've heard some super tragic stories, you know, um, some people have some real hard stories. I have, you know, my, you know, I have my own stories, you know, and some of them are, you know, tragic. Some of them are funny now, but okay. not funny at the time, you know. Uh, but um, again, I was a pretty functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I am very blessed to still have a good relationship with my parents and my sister and her family. Um, they've always been super supportive through the whole thing. Um, not to say that there weren't some amends I had to make there cause there were, mm-hmm. but, uh, it never got to the point where I was like stealing from my family or, you know, like some people just get in a really dark place and they get desperate, you know what I mean? And, sure. um, so my stuff was more like emotional stuff and just things that were unsaid about growing up and, okay. um, you know, some of those kind of things. Um, but, and then, so, you know, uh, there was definitely some, you know, passive aggressive, kind of relationships there you know and so there were some things that just need to be said and it was more just that kind of stuff for me with my family but they've always been really um supportive and and after we had those conversations you know things got a whole lot better Mm -hmm. Uh, and now we have a a really good relationship and we're able to 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 be friends and and you know and all that stuff so it's great i'm very thankful for that but a lot of my men's were, you know, there's also just other friends with people you owe money to and um, ex-girlfriends or that kind of stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. everybody's story is a little bit different. Okay. Uh, so. so. So was your family, um, so did they give you, like, you know, let you know, say, you know, things, you're not doing well on this alcohol, you know, would you quit? Is there... You know, you know, how, how did they let you know that that you were getting outside the bounds of um, being healthy for yourself? Yeah, there was definitely concern for my health. Um, uh, and sometimes it wasn't spoken, but I could just kind of sense that they were worried about me. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's hard for parents. You know, you, you want to help your kids, but at the same time, you you have to let them live their life, right? You can't like just save them or, so I, I, it was always a little uncomfortable because I knew they were worried, but I didn't want them to meddle in my life. So if they tried, I would get real defensive, you know? Okay. Um, and so a lot of times it just kind of went unspoken, um, really, but there were, you know, definitely before I, I, uh, entered the, the program that I did, they, they definitely voiced their concern, mostly just due to my weight and my health. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I just got really big. I was 500 plus pounds and just couldn't breathe, couldn't walk. It was bad. And they were really worried. And they let me know that a couple of times. And, uh, um, that's a hard thing because, you know, you don't want to preach at somebody. You, if you poke too much, they're going to get defensive. And I would, I would get defensive. And like, you know, my parents wanted to come down and cook for me and save me, you know? And I'm right. like, don't do that. Like, I appreciate it, but I can't, I can't do that. That's, and I don't know that that would have been the healthiest thing, but I just know that they wanted to help and I appreciated that, but I had to make the decision to change myself. You know, you can't make somebody do it. Um, so they were really, you know, really supportive and definitely voiced their concerns, but 
they also were patient and let me come to that decision on my own ultimately, which was what really made the difference. So is there anything that you, when you look back, is there anything that your family could have said or done that would have changed your trajectory at that particular time when you were at your, uh, I want to say, you know, uh, point where you, you were into your addiction and it was just the way you had accepted life at that point. Is there anything that they could have said or done that would have changed that trajectory? You know, that's a really great question, man. And I, I it would be great if more people kind of thought that way and wondered that because that is hard. You know, I, the truth is, I mean, my, my gut answer to that is no, like there's nothing, there's really, I don't want to say nothing, but you can't, you know, your family can't save you. You know, uh, I know your, my mom and dad just wanted to, like I said, they often come down and cook for me and they wanted to do whatever they could. And that was both heartbreaking and frustrating because I, you know, we don't want to just do what our mom and dad tell us to do. So I couldn't, they couldn't just tell me what to do. And then I go do it and be a good little boy. I'm rebellious by nature. Okay. So they're making me, they, them saying to do something made me not want to do it. You know what I mean? Maybe not want to do it even more. So I, and I kept, they kept asking me, what can we do to help? And uh, I just kept saying, you know, I just need your love and support and, um, and prayer. And I think the best thing you can do is just love that person and not like, not judge them, just show them like unconditional love that you appreciate them no matter what their weight is, no matter what their habits are, you love them. That doesn't mean you have to let them walk all over you, but but let them know that you love them, support them, and that you're not going to like judge them or tell them what to do. Because the first way to push somebody, an addict, away is to tell them how to live their life. That That's you're just going to push them out of your life. You know what I mean? Because an addict doesn't want to hear it. They have to discover it for themselves. And so that's a frustrating thing is like, what do you do? How do you get them to discover it for themselves? You know, like you, you really can't. The only thing you can do is just love that person. Uh, show them unconditional love um, and just make sure they know that you, you're never going to judge them and you're there to support them. And if they ever want to talk or whatever, you're available, you know, and let them come to you. You know what I mean? I think sure. that's the biggest thing. Yeah. So now you were uh, on the road. You did some traveling with your music. Mm -hmm. um, now, this was uh, young in life or you were a little older? couple of times I did I've done it a couple of times there was about six years when I was just out of college so when I was younger I, I toured with a band coast to coast for like six years um, and then about 10 years ago or so maybe 12 years ago I was doing Caribbean Island so I was playing the Caribbean I did that for about five years or about half the year I was down in the Caribbean playing piano bars so kind of those two times in my life so now um, were you combating your addictions then? Yeah, uh, not the first time. I, honestly, I, I wasn't a big drinker at that time. The band I was in when I was younger, out of college, we were a Christian band, and nobody in the band really drank or anything like that. Me and one of the other guys used to sneak out to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> so it was like, it was, we were pretty clean. I remember on my 21st birthday, we were in the studio, and I was, I was mad because I couldn't go drink and get drunk on my 21st birthday. Because so obviously I liked to drink, but I wasn't drinking a lot because the people in the band just weren't into that. 
So um, at that point, it really wasn't too much of an issue, although I definitely had the addictive thing probably more with food at that time. But when I did the Caribbean gigs, yeah, Caribbean, those gigs were just a devil's playground, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So everybody's there to party, so whatever you want to do, it's it's there. So, uh, And that's kind of part of my job. I was playing the bars and stuff, so... Um, I would say I will say I did have some fun times partying with a lot of people. I let a, I met a lot of cool people, and I'm grateful for that. But it was also like full force alcoholism, drinking every night. You know, it was it was um, definitely I think cemented it all for me. Was that period? Okay. But, yeah. So um, you currently still do. Uh, bars and restaurants that serve alcohol mm -hmm. and as you are um how, how long you've been clean uh just over three years now three years and two months okay so so what's 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 the emotional um challenges of doing what you do where you're doing it does that make uh, sense yeah it does no i totally i totally get it um yeah the the i will say the first six months to a year after i quit drinking was was hell it sucked like i was you know being in bars the first thing you tell you if you're gonna quit drinking you need to get out of that you need to get out of that atmosphere right? that atmosphere right that's what i was yeah. thinking yeah, yeah right. you can't be around that like that's the first thing your sponsor will tell you like you gotta get new friends you can't go to the bar but that was my job you know, so okay. I could have gotten another job. I could have done that, but I chose to, to stick it out. The first, you know, six months was really hard. I would just go to my gig, play. I'd be mad and just bitter and not talk to anybody and pack up my stuff and leave. You know, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, but over time, that got, it got better, you know. And now after three years, I was just talking to somebody about that today. Like, I, I can go to gigs and I played a gig last night where everybody was just drunk, you know? Okay. And now it's just changed a little bit. Like I just, it doesn't look fun to me anymore. I just don't really want to do it because I know where it ends up. I know I'm going to feel how I'm going to feel and the money I'm going to spend. And it's just not worth it. I don't want to do it, man. It just doesn't look fun to me anymore. So I think there's something to be said about time, you know, time mm -hmm. that, that heals that. Sure. So um, it's definitely been a process because it was really hard at first, but but now I'm at a point where you know it still looks fun every once in a while, but I just know where that would head, and it's it's nowhere I want to be, man. I was just so miserable, and I'm grateful for that, for how bad it got, because that's what keeps me from going back. I just remember what it was like, and it's like, nope, I'm good. So it's not always a lot of fun to be in bars every night, you know, but okay. I've gotten to the point where I can, you know, I can deal with it and let people do their thing. And, and I don't have to hang out there when I'm done, I can pack up and, and go home. So, so now the music industry is full of vices. Oh yeah. Um, and, and you realize that you have a personality or you have um, a behavior that lends itself to addictions. Yeah. Um, so give me a little bit of the struggle there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, totally, man. The, the reason so many musicians are alcoholics, well, there's a couple of reasons, you know, drug, drug addicts and whatever. 
um, is first of all, it's hard to be a musician. You know, it's a hard life. Yes. And uh, it's and so there's a lot of musicians who are just depressed. You know. Um, and there's a lot of musicians who are rejected who, you know, no musician gets into music to play in bars every night and play Brown Eyed Girl. None of us dream of doing that when we're sure. kids. We get into music because we want to do our own music. You know what I mean? We mm -hmm. want to write or create or be in something that's bigger than ourselves. So the world is full of musicians who didn't, didn't make it, quote unquote, you know, mm -hmm. or they gave up. They gave up on themselves and they feel like crap and they're depressed and they hate themselves for it. So... What do you do? You drink. You're there. People are pushing it in your face. You know, you have a few drinks to, you know, to take the edge off. And then a couple years later, you just can't stop, you know. So mm -hmm. it's real conducive to that because you have people who are emotionally weak anyway. And then it's part of their job to sell alcohol and be part of the party. So that combination is explosive, you know. So I think that's a lot of it. I also think a lot of musicians have a lot of time on their hands. So I know a lot of touring musicians, um, it's really hard. You, you, you're out on the road, you're away from home, you're away from your family, all to play like a 30-minute show. You still have 23 hours and 30 minutes to spend, you know, in that sure. day. So there's nothing, just not much else to do. So, well, let's go have some drinks and, you know, and it's just accepted because it's probably the only job, maybe not the only job, but one of few jobs that you're like almost encouraged to drink while you do it, you know? Right. So it's like, yeah, let's go get some drinks. What else are you going to do? And the same thing, that just creates a habit. Next city, you're bored, you drink there. Next city, you're bored, you drink there. And so over time, you just build these habits, you know. So it's it's just this, this it's a tough environment that's real, it, it's real easy to get to get into that. And that's why it happens to so many musicians, you know. it's we're, We all are hurt. A lot of creative people are real sensitive anyway, and mm -hmm. uh, whether they'll tell you that or not. So we're, we're hurt, we're sensitive, we hate ourselves, we hate our lives, things aren't going the way we wanted them to go, so let's do something to make ourselves feel better, and the rest is history, you know? Absolutely. So I'm going to I'm gonna ask one more question, and I'm going to say, I, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me, because I know, um, you know, that going back through a lot of that can be an issue. Um, but, so you've, you've decided to um, make inspirational music. Um, you've decided to try to use your gift, um, whether you've um, worked hard for it or not, it's still a gift, um, to bring about change. Uh, so, so just give me a little bit on that and then we're out. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, well, thanks for asking that and thanks for, for having me, man. I really appreciate you reaching out and I'm always happy to talk about this stuff and, and help in any way I can. So ever, ever anything else I can do, just let me know, man. And yes, uh, I'm there. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, a big part of this whole thing for me was when I was really drinking and stuff and, um, eating and all that, I just wasn't, I wasn't fulfilling like what I really felt I was here for, you know, my purpose in life, which was to create music, to create original music, you know, to write my own music and perform that and take, that message to others. And when I quit drinking and started doing the 12 steps, it was definitely like, all right, I have this energy. I have this time. What do I want to do with this? Um, and I, it, you know, didn't take long for me to know that like, I need to get back to creating music and that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I believe God made me, to, made me, you know, created me to do. But I wanted my music to mean something, you know, I don't want to just do music to get famous or rich or whatever. I just don't care about that anymore. I'm 42, you know, 
Um, you know, yeah, sure, I, I want to have financial security, but other than that, the other stuff doesn't matter as much to me. What I really want is to use my, I want to make music that matters, music, music that inspires people, encourages people. Because um, one of the things I was also considering doing was becoming a counselor, just because that made such a big difference in my life, was the, you know, having that in my life, and I want to offer that to other people. So just through a lot of thought and prayer and discussion, um, you know, the, the thing I came to was the way I can do that is counsel people through music, you know what I mean, and share my story and, and just really make sure people know that they're not alone because that's how I felt always was I felt I was a freak, I was a loser, I was alone. Um, and so I just want to, you know, take that message of, look, you're not alone. You, you're, you're a human being, and we all have these struggles. And, um, and, you know, there are lots of people who are working it out and it's never too late for you, you know? So I, um, it was just really important to me that the music I make had that message. So, so yeah, I started Soul Motivation Records and, and, uh, based on that principle, and now I do my own inspirational hip hop music and, uh, it's all clean and positive and just all about living your best life. A lot of stuff about recovery and, uh, a lot of stuff about the principles that lead to a, you know, a happier, more fulfilled life, you know, and, uh, I think the world has enough rap music that talks about Gucci and, and chains and all that stuff. And that stuff has its place too, man. I like some of that stuff, Sure. but I think the world has enough of that. Like, I think what the world needs is more positivity, especially in hip hop music right now. Um, and just the world needs to see possibility and, and hope. And so that's what I want to do with the music I make. Excellent. So just uh, tell everybody uh, where they can find you and where they can find your music. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of free music on my website. So go and uh, download some music and check it out. It's at uh, chriswanhiphop.com. And that swan is S-W-A-N, just like the bird. So chriswanhiphop.com and uh, get some free music. And also you can find me on social, all the social platforms under that same username, Chris Swan Hip Hop. So I would love to connect with anybody who wants to talk recovery or mindset or life or music or whatever. Definitely feel free to hit me up. Alrighty, Chris, I wanna thank you very much. Okay, again, I wanna uh, thank Chris for taking the time to uh, talk to me about his uh, his issue and that's going to wrap up uh, this week this podcast is streamed live every week on YouTube and it's done that way so that it encourages you to participate by asking questions and including your thoughts to participate, please contact Altitude Adjustment by connecting via Skype at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com or Google at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com. Please feel free to connect with me on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and on YouTube. And be sure to look for this and other episodes where you listen to podcasts. Your likes and shares are internet gold. So like and share this podcast find it. Remember, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy, because they may not be looking out for you.